Hello everybody, welcome to This Game Where, with me, Ashley, and... Me, Chris. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. It's actually, this feels really weird. This is one of my episodes, and I haven't, because of the way we've done things, listeners, I haven't actually done an episode for over a month. So... I'm feeling a little bit weird right now. Plus, I've I'm I'm halfway through my second beer and it's six percent. It's six percent of everybody. That's also making you feel a bit weird. And I'm drinking a lovely glass of blush wine with ice. Cheers. Whatever that is, I don't know what that is. Type of rosé. I don't know what you mean when you say that though. Get with the times. What's blush? Why is it blush? Is that the brand? No, it's it's a type of wine. If you Google it. What is blush wine? I don't wine? want to Google it. We're supposed to be recording a podcast. It's to do with the type of grape that's been used or something. All right, I know okay. is it tastes really nice. I believe you. Also does mine. Yeah. I think that's the way you're supposed to say that, isn't it? Also does mine. Yeah, that's definitely how you say it. Mine's a coffee-flavoured beer. Can we just at the top of the episode, I realised when I listened back to the last episode, King of the Monsters, that at the start, my intro was the Konami Code, which I'd done in reference to Castlevania, episode 50, and I'd never actually pointed that out. So I just want us to make that part of the This Game Where canon. How are you? Are you all right? I haven't asked. It's two minutes in and I haven't asked you if you're all right. Oh yeah, that key question to start the podcast. Yeah, I'm great. I've got a lovely blush buzz. What about you? A blush buzz sounds so weird. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I'm all right today. Yeah, good day. Do you feel them um, full of whatever it is? When... Yeah, the... I am, I'm Vimmy. What is the chemical that you, you get when you go to the gym? It shows how often I go to the gym. Endorphins? Yeah, I was going to say dopamine, but it's not, is it? Dopamine, probably, yeah, actually. It's probably dopamine. Pheromones. I should know that. It's no, not... pheromones are different, aren't they? The pheromones smell. are the ones that you waft in women's faces or, or your... <laughs> your preferred partner's faces <laughs> from the armpit you sort of go up to them and you waft like this musk elon musk that it, musk musk is genuinely a pheromone so yeah, if I you know. if okay that's it's all right just, then i didn't know whether word musk it, uh, yeah and actually you saying elon musk just paints a, a totally different picture of that man than than i had and it wasn't particularly graceful <laughs> or flattering no. in the first place <laughs> have you ever smelt a wolf um I've got close enough, to be honest, of you. Yeah, we have. They have a very particular smell. I don't know if I've told you, my family bought me a birthday experience. Is it one, one of the experiences? Where you, where you go in with the animals, a zoo? Well, no. No and yes. So what it was, our local animal place, zoo if you like, it wasn't a zoo at the time. It was more of a falconry centre. They bought me an experience to go fly falcons. Oh, cool. It was a full day's experience, and in the morning we did the fly, the falcon flying, and it was as part of a little group, and then everybody else buggered off home uh, after dinner. So it was just me and Hannah at this place with, with this guy, and instead of letting us fly the falcons a little bit more or whatever, he basically took us on a tour around the zoo and let us in whatever he fancied letting us in. We, we flew barn owls. No, we didn't. We flew tawny owls, I think, in a barn. So that was where the confusion lay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we, f- we, we went in the lemur enclosure and hand-fed lemurs. And okay. they had very recently got a, like within a few months of us being there, they'd taken possession of a pack of wolves. We'd done all these amazing things, whole held snakes and lizards and, and a fox cub that they'd rescued. Right. We'd done all these amazing things. And he was like, he turned to us and he went, uh, do you want to go in with the wolves? And we thought he was having us on, but he wasn't. He took us in with the wolves. He gave us a six foot piece of 
plastic piping the sort of thing that you would maybe run some cables through if you were putting them underground right just a bit of six foot plastic it was blue it was uh he, he gave each of us one of those and he said if they come anywhere near you just just hold it up in the air and wave it so we tripped along the back of the enclosure and you could smell them before you could see them which is why i know as i say why i know what they smell like and he took us up on top of this hill and the wolves were looking at us and then they started to parade around the hill and sort of pace back and forth around the hill and he said what they're doing there is trying to ward you off oh jeez there is a chance that they will they will dash up the hill at you so if they do that remember what i said about the stick so we we stood on this hill being a little bit like what is going on how did we get ourselves here i I can't believe you went in i went along with it really yeah okay if it had been anything bigger than wolves if it had been anything more than a wolf i would have absolutely said no at the time the place was handling i think a transfer of tigers a pair of tigers if they'd said to me about tigers i would have told them no because there's a certain i mean i think wolves is probably the the level where you are i use this word very loosely where you are safe yeah is this wildlife part of the one that's just down the road from me it is right so i've got a story about that place have you is it a good one for christmas one year i found on their website you could adopt animals so you got 25 pounds you got a little plaque next to the animal to say this animal's been sponsored by so and so and you got free entry to the park and few of the goodies thrown your way so i thought it'd be a lovely christmas present for my wife so i bought her bought in inverted commas sponsorship of a, an owl of some sort maybe one of the ones yeah. that you flew in the august the following year so eight months after i feel like i know where this is going i've probably told you this before it's a few years ago no you haven't you haven't told me but i think i i have a feeling right so in the august the following year so eight months after i bought it we rocked over to the park to go and um, have a look at this owl and the woman behind the counter said Oh, yeah, it died about three months ago. <laughs> and I said, you what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, yeah, it died. Um, and I said, yeah, but I've, I've sponsored it. And I paid 25 quid. So I've paid 25 quid to, to sponsor nothing. I kicked off and um, they gave me some money back. What are you telling me? That story sounds to me like that year you didn't actually get your wife a, a birthday present at all. You Christmas. attempted to get her a birthday present, sorry, Christmas present at all. You attempted to get her a Christmas present and then got the money back for it. I, I mean, yeah. That's what happened, isn't it? You didn't actually even then go and buy her a Christmas present with the money. It was August by that point. It was a bit late. Okay. I'm going to send this episode to your wife. She knows she was there. I, and I did get her a present. The present was a dead owl. Yeah. Should we start the episode properly? Should we kick into the game? Yeah, what what game are we doing? Nine minutes in, um, before <laughs> editing, nine minutes in, wolves. we've talked about wolf musk and dead owls. There's a level of professionalism that we like to hit, and we are there for definite, for sure. We're somewhere in the vicinity it's not a very, of that. It's not a very high level of, of professionalism, is it? No. This week, it is my game, as I made a great big fuss about at the beginning of this episode 10 minutes ago and And at the end of last week's episode we had a big thing about this one needing to be a a good one after last week's folly so yeah well i think it is with that in mind i I think it is it is this game where you play as a god whose goal is to direct manipulate and coerce your lowly subjects into destroying the civilizations of other gods against whom you compete any ideas is it populous yes very good guess yeah how did you. you get that what I mean, just, it's... Just because that's the only game I can think of where you play as a god. I've never played Populous. Oh, really? 
I just know of right, it. Right, okay. It's Peter Well, Molyneux, that's what I was going to... Isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. So all the pieces are there for this to be a good game, I think. Populous is actually the first, or widely considered to be the first God game. So uh, it has that going for it. I owned it on the SNES. It came out on the SNES in 1991. I forget the, the month, but I didn't actually get it till something probably around 97 wow late to the party very late to the party yes it came without a manual as well of course so as is tradition that will be important when we actually play it because i'm not providing you with a manual either oh god uh, the actual game the game was released actually in uh, march 1989 for the amiga for the first wow. time so it's peter molnier and les edgar i think it is do you know which company they founded together is that french for the edgar yes les edgar yeah. uh, multiple edgars yeah les edgars i, I stand corrected yeah no, I don't yeah. know what company. Bull, Bullfrog? Uh, Bullfrog. Yes. Hey. There we go. So you do know. So Bullfrog Interactive. <laughs> I, I don't know. And I didn't know. Yeah, you did know. Uh, Bullfrog, in- Bullfrog Interactive was founded by Les Edgar and, and Peter Molnier together. They then took on, oh, what's his name? Glenn Corpse. Right. Spelt differently. Corpse? So not quite, yeah. It's unfortunate. Spelt C-O-R-P-E-S rather than C-O-R-P-S-E. So not quite as dark as you'd imagine. So they founded uh, Bullfrog. Do you know the apocryphal story of how Bullfrog came about and how Populous actually ended up coming about? No. Right, so Populous is actually Bullfrog's first game. It's the first game that they made as a, as a company. Before they were called Bullfrog, before they were making Populous, they had a company before that. It was uh, it was called something like Taurus Intelligent Systems. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, and I'm not going to look it up. It, the name for that one was based on the fact that they were both Taurus star signs. Ah, uh, uh, okay. I don't know what that says about them, but read into it what you will. It's the reason why gorillas are called gorillas. It's Damon Albarn and Jamie Hewlett, the musician and the guy who Chinese. Does the yeah, they're both thing. born in the year of the ape. Year of the monkey. Yeah, cool. monkey, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's a thing. Maybe, what yeah. would we be? What are you? I'm Tiger. an Aquarius, so. Oh, which one are we going for? <laughs> oh, I don't know what I am in terms of the Chinese. Okay. Well, in terms Let's of... not worry about it. Oh, Should right. we not worry about it? Nah. Um, yeah, they had this company. It was called Taurus something. I, I know that much. I don't really know what they were doing. They were sort of making software together. They actually met when Peter Molnier went into the hi-fi shop that Les Edgar was working in and they agreed at that point to work together in the hi-fi shop they had a conversation that culminated with them saying let's work together yeah yeah genuinely genuinely it was a different time this is this is all apocryphal but it also right, comes out okay. of peter molnier's mouth so one of the things that i did prep for this episode was re uh, was watch the gdc post-mortem on populace and he tells this very very what's to me sounds like an apocryphal story so basically taurus what whatever they are called taurus Mimir, in his telling they were selling beans to the Middle East, baked beans, tins of, and it wasn't going particularly well. Just out of, by sheer accident, Commodore, the company, rang them up and they said that they were really interested in what they do and they'd like to get them on board and things with uh, the upcoming Amiga computer. And what? he so, was a bit flummoxed. So from, we've, we've seen you good work selling beans to the Middle East. Can you get well, involved listen, with... listen. And then right. you'll know. Yeah. So they were a bit flummoxed. Uh, or Peter Molnier was a bit flummoxed to get this phone call because they were selling beans to the Middle East. It turns out that they were Taurus something or other. And there was another company that made games that was T-O-R-U-S. <gasps> Peter Molnier and Les Edgar decided that they were just going to roll with it. So they went and had this meeting. I know. Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> like that that BBC, uh, the, the taxi driver that ended up on the BBC News. Exactly. It's yeah, like, it was yeah, exactly th- like that. This is happening. This is fine. Well, listen to what happened as well, because it, it seems... 
brutal, to be honest, uh, if tourists didn't quite make it onto their onto their books. Because Peter Molyneux and Les Edgar, they turned up to this boardroom, had this meeting with Commodore, who said that they wanted them to make software at that point for the upcoming Amiga computer, which they were trying to sell not as a games console, but as a business machine. And so they went along with it, and Commodore provided them, this company, P- Peter Molyneux and Les Edgar's company, company. with 10... 10 Amiga computers. There were only three of them in the company at the time, but they had 10 <laughs> computers sent to the office. They did a they did a little bit of uh, fiddling Lun- about with... Lunacy. I know, I know. They did a little bit of fiddling about with business software and then did a little side shuffle to making a game. Uh, and again, kind of by accident, if Peter Molnier's telling of it is anything to go by. And the game because they started to make was Populous. Yes, yeah. They they actually, they were doing a conversion of a game that was made by two brothers who still, well, I think one of them still works at, or still worked at Lionhead as of 2011, which is when the GDC uh, talk took place. And they, they did a conversion, so they moved that over from one console or from one computer to another. Then off the back of that, they got interested in the graphics, develop, graphic development and things like that. Lionhead being the company that Peter Molyneux founded after Bullfrog, was that right? Yes, I apologise, yeah. yeah. And then and then Populous was a thing that they started to fiddle around with. Like It was just sort of like a side project that they were sort of half half arsing basically but it it quickly began to be the thing that they were more interested in doing and they started to do things they started to take it a little bit more seriously it it was i've told that story a little bit wrong it came out of greg corpse working on something in his own time that was based on david bray it's a lot of names that I, i'm conscious i'm throwing out a lot of names but david braben is another developer from elsewhere in the uh in the sphere he's the llama guy the what llama guy what's the llama guy so he did he did lots of games in the 80s and he had a bit of a fixation on llamas if i remember rightly like he did one about llamas from space or something okay i i mean i know david braben as the developer of elite elite uh, for anyone that isn't quite as strangely orientated as christopher Strange. uh, david braben <laughs> David Braben made Elite, the original Elite. What are you looking for? You're looking for the llama thing? Yeah. He also made a game called Virus that Greg Corpse was fiddling around trying to make something isometric out of what he had seen in Virus. Right. Peter Molnier and Les Edgar saw what he was doing. They started to get this idea for a game or something whereby you had people moving around an isometric map. They then started to work on AI for the little people that move around the map to try and get them to move around the map in meaningful and sensible ways. And basically through a multitude of sort of iterative steps, they went from having nothing to having populous. Right. By accident. They decided that they were going to, because of the way that the peeps, which is what they used to call, what they called the little people that moved around the map, because of the way that the people in the game dealt with hitting a coast, that then resulted in them, they didn't handle it very well, is what I mean. That then resulted in them putting in a mechanic where you could raise and lower the ground. Okay. So that they could then have the peep people move over that ground rather than get stuck on this coast and and so on and so on until they eventually ended up with the game all uh, by accident through this iterative process now iterative iterative design is everywhere in game development these days and has always been the basis for a lot of game development so it's no it's no massive surprise that that was where it came out of it's just that it came off the back of them accidentally getting this con- uh, contract with Amiga uh, to, to create things for the Amiga and then accidentally they went from 
noodling around with this thing that they'd made to creating a game that sold four or five million copies when it was released originally on the uh, on the pc essentially they're hustlers they've they've sort of hustled their way into this game honestly i've got notes here which you maybe would be surprised to to know because i'm i feel like i'm hustling my way through this but one of the notes that i wrote down is basically peter molnia and les edgar are grifters yep they've grifted their way into the industry and actually that's something that you could say going forward for peter molnia he's got this so this is the first time we've done a peter molnia game so we've never really discussed him no. as a character. It's also, interestingly, the first time we've done a SNES game. Did you realise that? Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty I don't think we've done a SNES game. So this is this is our first SNES game. But that's a, a slight aside. So Peter Molnier as a character is known for inflating people's expectations somewhat. And the uncharitable people in the room would say that he lies about his games in order to sell them. Yeah. I think I've intimated to you whether it was on the podcast or not. I feel like that's slightly unfair fair i see him as a very passionate creator yeah i was gonna say enthusiastic yeah massively enthusiastic about the things that he's making who talks about them in terms that are ambitious so they it speaks to his ambitions rather than what he actually ends up putting out potentially i remember reading a preview for black and white back in like 98 Mm. or something and it said about that they'd left the so black and white was the game where you controlled was it like godlike figures yeah it's a god game and actually the basis of black and white is something i was going to bring up the basis of black and white is the systems that Ah, were set down in populous and I remember reading this preview about how amazing this game is. It's going to completely change games forever. And it's said about the, the AI. You're going to the, say about the oak tree? No, that about the, the, oh. the AI was so developed that they, they left the game running overnight. And when they came back, the gods had gone off and done their own thing because of how advanced they were. Mm. And it was, it was going to revol- revolutionize gameplay and blah, blah. And I was a bit cynical about it. Yeah, well, I think everybody is cynical about things that peter molnier says to the to the public including peter molnier if you watch that gdc post-mortem that i have already mentioned he makes a couple of jokes about how he inflates people's expectations a good Um, good british sense of self-awareness and self-deprecating yeah i think that's what people don't give him credit for like he is aware of himself and his foibles so you know um, can i just before we move on it's jeff minter is the llama guy i've just googled that Right, okay, not David not Braben. David, as far as I'm aware, David no. Braben has no David interest Braben. or inclination towards llamas. No, David Braben is the elite guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've, um, I've all, among other things. I've also got this image of the the proper Taurus company just sort of sat by a phone. It's like a little nervous... Yeah, waiting. A nervous guy. So, it, it, Commodore are going to ring soon. Maybe be today. Maybe, yeah, they gave me their word. <laughs> yeah, they, they said their phone. We're, we're really waiting for this contract. I, I wonder what happened yeah. to those guys. Yeah, I, I should have checked, what? really, shouldn't I? See if I could find out. What could have been? Never mind, I didn't. <laughs> I've done my usual trick. I haven't actually told people what Populous is. I've told them that it's a god game. So a god game is self-explanatory, really. You play as an omnipotent being who has control over various elements of the land. The people aren't usually one of them, though. So you, you can do things like raise and lower the land, create new land masses or destroy them you can in peter molnier's oeuvre of god games black and white and black and white 2 
the popular series and so on. You can also start natural disasters. So you can have swampy, boggy areas spring up, or you can have volcanoes rise out of the earth, or you can set off earthquakes in specific areas and things like that. You use those tools as a god to try and maneuver your civilization in certain directions. So if you want them to settle and create settlements, then you can use the raising and lowering of land to influence them to do that. If you want to... If you want to allow them access to a new area of the map, you could make a bridge, a land bridge between two islands. If you want to destroy a civilization, then you might well set up a volcano just be- just below their castle area or something like that. So that that's the ins and outs of a god game. It gets much more complex when you get to black and white, which is 10 years on actually yeah. from the release of Populous on the SNES. So can you choose to be but that's the gist. malevolent or benevolent? No. Or, or so that's Is it more po- about po- the... the- See, in my head, I've now got this image of the, this supplement being a bit like lemmings, that you're sort of filling them along an area to, to stop in one particular bit. Is that sort of they have, what it's like or not? The people have behaviours, and the behaviours make them prone to exploration or settlement, depending on the situation they find themselves in. So if they find themselves on a flat piece of land, they're inclined to settle. Right. If they're on, if they're in a rocky area or a forested area, they're inclined to explore. And they're a secret, they're, they're a hidden, is probably a better term. There are hidden numbers dictating when they will explore and what directions they will go in and so on. So algorithms basically right. behind the scenes that dictate their behaviors you can't influence their behaviors directly so it's not an it's not a real-time strategy you can't click a, a unit and tell them to go in this direction and wait there or set up a lumber mill or whatever you can only influence the things around them to try and make them do the things that they are pre-programmed to do like settle and explore and fight and so on okay does that make sense yeah i think so and what is the aim? That is Populus's. What is the aim of the game? So that is Populus's version of a god game. They get more complicated with black and white. And as we go further along the timeline of god games, they get more complicated. And you do get the choice in black and white, black and white too, uh, to be benevolent or malevolent. And uh, that influences, that directly affects your actual, your features, your, and the way your civilizations respond to you. In terms of the aim of Populous, the aim of the game. So the game has got 500 levels, Jeez. which I did not realise. Yeah, I know. It's huge. I did not get past a handful of levels is my, is my remembrance of, of this game. Uh, and we'll come back to that. So put a hook in that or whatever. It's a pin, isn't it? Put a pin in that. Put a donk on it. The aim of the... No, don't put a donk on it. That's the opposite of putting a pin on it, I think. The aim of each level is to destroy the other civilization that is on the on the map so you are the blues and the reds will be somewhere on the map somewhere else on the map and you've got to build up your your civilization to such a point that you can destroy the other civilization now there are two ways that you can do that you can send your civilization to kill them or you can use your god powers to undermine Mm -hmm. the other civilization as as i described like building swamps where they're trying to settle or killing them with volcanoes and earthquakes and so on and that's it you do that 500 times and then you're finished right that's, it's a lot of gameplay it's a it's a lot it is a lot of gameplay does it get repetitive then well i wouldn't know because i didn't get very far into the game and the reason i didn't get very far into the game is potentially because i didn't have a manual it took me a long long time to understand what was going on 
with this game because it was something that I hadn't really experienced before. This is so in 1997, I hadn't had even access to a PC outside of school, and they weren't serving up God games and RTSs, which uh, is what you really need to understand. So this is basically in the same way that everyone in 1989 to 1991 was experiencing this genre for the first time. This is my first introduction to what might pass for well it's not an rts but that sort of map based unit based moving around killing other civilizations that sort of gameplay yeah i was trying to think while you were talking about it about crossover with man sims like we've talked about before management simulators for those who haven't listened mm. to those episodes it, it doesn't sound like it quite could be sits in those but equally it's not an rts it's all, almost sounds like a genre by itself but god game it is a genre god by game itself. is a genre you've mentioned populous black and white black and white too this doesn't sound like that many games within that genre there are a lot more than i've said right, so okay. there, even even just in the last few years there's been some that have been released so you un, not universe although universe might be one that has been released or is actually in early access at the moment another one in early access called foundation and that sort of builds i think on what you were doing in populous because uh, you can't again you can't directly influence sorry you can't directly control your beings but you can tell them to do things and they will do them foundation foundation less so uh, i think because you you can direct them in so much as you can say build a well here but there are definitely games still being made even even now in this genre so 30 years on it's still going strong then that's interesting Uh, you're talking about how you played this in 97 without a manual on the snares yeah and this was my introduction to to this genre i was learning as i went along went along and the the user interface isn't the most certainly for the pc it was fine because you could just use your mouse but for the snares the translation of of the controls to the snares i don't remember them being particularly intuitive right now i will also say i haven't played this for for getting on for 25 years this is one game that i've never been back to and it's one of the reasons is i just didn't feel very capable or competent and i even even by the time i was getting some some where with it i didn't feel like i understood the game particularly well so knowing everything that i know now i'm interested to play it very interested to play it to see if it is better than i remember it being a similar I mean, not a game that's difficult to understand, but I remember playing Theme Park on the SNES at my childminder's house. That is a bullfrog game. Yeah, exactly. And I remember finding it difficult without the mouse to get through the menus. Yeah. So whereas Theme Park is Theme Park is menu based, it, it's it's clear what you're supposed to be doing to a certain extent. Whereas from what you said about Populous, obviously it isn't. So that will, I think, provide challenge, especially as you're not letting me use a manual. What's this game you got? It's all icons. What's this a game you got for your birthday or Christmas, or was it just a random impulse buy? It was a game that I got with the Super Nintendo that I was uh, gifted at Christmas time. Right. So this is one of the first games that I was given alongside my Super Nintendo. At the same time, I was given Mario Kart and Super Mario World. So it kind of had that to to contend with as well because yeah. they are games that are instantly accessible for anybody and super fun as well and this was this is more of a thinky game so whenever i was getting frustrated i had fallbacks that i've very much enjoyed and and it really it probably suffered a lot from that if i'd just been left with populace maybe i do i'd be a populist master these days i think if i'd been left with populace i would probably never replayed it i think i'd have just given it one try and then ah uh, not for me and I think in that collection of games you just mentioned there as well, Super Mario World and Mario Kart, Populous would be the bridesmaid and not the bride in that. 
It absolutely was. I. Th- this is the thing we've talked about before. When you're a child, you do not have the choice to walk away from games. No. Even if you don't like them. Well, Little Nemo in Dreamland that I bought for £7 or whatever from the second-hand shop, that was my pocket money for three or four weeks or however long it was, probably longer than that. And I'd saved it up and saved it up, and I'd... T- I, I'd planted it down on little nemo i had to enjoy it yeah. <laughs> or i had to i had to persevere with it i think because there was no getting another one for however long it took me to save up and then king of the monsters talks about last week me and my brother used to play it yeah. quite a bit didn't really like it didn't really get much enjoyment no. from it or understand what we're doing but we still played it quite a bit yeah so that was that was popular to some extent for me the difference between this and little nemo is i anticipate that this is a much better game than nine-year-old me was able to give it credit for just because it was just so new like just totally un- unknown territory for me at that point i think like you say your age without a manual the genre it is the console you're playing it's on you are very much on the back foot from the off in your relationship with this yeah. game so perhaps yeah. you actually did better than maybe give yourself credit for to have played a few levels of it perhaps maybe uh, i feel like we're at a natural um point to jump off but i've actually got a couple of things that i'm going to tack on before we before we finish up and, and play the game of course so um bullfrog being a brand new studio they they set up the studio basically to make this game they were touting for publishers and publishers rightly or wrongly weren't interested in taking it on of all publishers in 1989 of all publishers to take it on uh, ea who are often maligned ea took it on at the same time apparently they shafted them on the contract right okay so and they give you one hands and take with the other <laughs> yeah they got very little up front they got uh, and they got 10 percent of royalties and those royalties were put off for nine months so they didn't get any money coming into bullfrog to keep them to tide them over for nine months after the game came, went out that must have been painful for them yes well this is how painful okay and this is also i want to get this in because this this is i've not i've marked this down in my notes as an interesting aside so in at that time how he felt he could do this i don't know but in that time peter molnier being in an insecure situation having started up a new company not having his royalties coming in or any money coming in bought a house in Avondale. It was like a little a little terraced house. Do you know how he did that? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> how do you not know that? How, how dare you? Um, he bought it on credit cards. Oh. He bought... He paid his deposit for his house on credit cards. And then for the nine months between that happening and getting the royalties in, he just applied for new credit cards uh. and moved the debt over to the new credit cards and just kept it rolling over and over. I find that extremely interesting because the difference in the world now, like the fact that he could do that is just insane to to, to millions of people yeah. who can't even get onto the housing ladder, you know? It, it's insane how Wild West it was mm. at that point and how little how little wiggle room there is now. Yeah. Like there are people paying hundreds of pounds of, of rent every every month who then can't get a mortgage or whatever to pay less yeah. than they're paying in rent now it's ridiculous i just wanted to point that out it's as political as i uh, as i'll get on the episode today i tend to avoid it usually no it's uh, fine anyway I, so- I, I apologize for not playing along when you asked me if i knew what he did no <laughs> so, sorry <laughs> no it's fine but you said avondale and as if i was supposed to know where that is where is avondale uh, i assume it's somewhere around or in guildford because uh, that's where they were based wasn't it no idea but yeah, sure. Let's go. Oh, Guildford, Guildford. I mean, Guildford is a uh, is even now. Guildford is a um, a hub of game development in the UK. Oh, so, right, um, yeah, there there are a few of them. Guildford's quite a big one. Lionhead uh, was also based in off the back of Bullfrog. Lionhead was based in Guildford. I think Media Molecule are based in Guildford as well, and several other companies. So 
Yeah, that and Dundee. Dundee's another massive one, and obviously London. Yes. London's big. The other thing that I want to say, so certification. Do you remember how long certification takes for Xbox or um, PlayStation, as far as we know? About a month. Is that right? Mm. Yeah. So certification takes one one month or thereabouts, if everything goes swimmingly, for current consoles. In 1989, certification was 24 hours. Yeah, so certification was 24 hours. And it wasn't called certification. It was testing. And that was the only time that a any kind of testing team um, got their hands on the game. Really? So there was no internal QA for Bullfrog. It was just seven of them. And they would play through the game and play each other at the game and things. And they would fix bugs as they found them. But for all intents and purposes, games coming out at that time were, were sent for what is basically certification make sure that the game works at in this case ea ea would play through the whole game in 24 hours as many times as they well, could would they a game that's 500 levels right well this is this is where this story comes from because uh 24 hour test period quite intense as intensive as they can get but ea apparently rang up bullfrog rang up peter and les and said to said to them can you give us a cheat to get to the end of the game just so that we know that it ends because we we can't play 500 levels in 24 hours so um yeah they i mean they i think they did actually provide them with um a code to get to the end of the game it prompted bullfrog to realize that they hadn't actually given the game an end so they what they did was they took the little animation that plays between certain levels and they they had it's it was a face of like some kind of demony thing and they had him wink at the uh wow. at, the ca- at the camera yeah and that was the end of the game it's always like winking like mocking you for playing 500 levels and that was that well it, you say that do you, you know about the uh korok seeds in breath of the wild Oh, what we got was it all 990. You've told us before, and you just get a. You get 900, you get given a golden poo. Yeah. By the character that you trade them with. I, I think that is a, a little bit of a mocking yes. aside to the player. Considering I played through that game for about 150 hours, and I probably got about, I don't know, 100 maybe. And that was just ones I stumbled across. I didn't go out of my way to find them. That was the point. I think I think that was the point of the Korok Seeds. Um, I, I dragged us into another conversation about a different game, so we'll keep it short. I think the point of the Korok Seeds was that they were so abundant that you found them on your mm. journey without having to go out of your way. Yeah. It was never the intent, I don't feel, of the developers that you would go out and collect all 900. But again, we just about testing. Pity the poor people had to go and find all 900 and collect of, all those of those. Yeah. To check that word. Yeah, on every bill Absolutely. of the game. Just Madness. In terms of you saying that about EA and testing, that's why cheat codes exist, if I remember correctly. It's because, is that really? it's because of testers, yeah. So when you have, like, in Sonic 2, for example, the level select cheat, it is so that uh, testers it makes so much sense. can... And, like, again, Sonic 2, because that's my kind of, like, the one I played a lot growing up. You go through, like, a, a sounds test menu, which, again, was to test that the sounds worked. Yeah. And then you... T- and then they just included, kept that in the game. Yeah, they just basically it was there for because fans. it went through... Well, because that was part of the certification process to have those yeah. cheats there for the people. And then that obviously then became the final build. The cheats are then baked into the game itself. There you go. I have never put those things together, and uh, it makes absolute mm. sense. So, yeah, fair enough. Good knowledge. Now is the time. So, they were the two things that I wanted to tack on, because I'm not going to find a, a place for those in the second half, I don't think. So, now is the time, even though it's totally clunky compared to where we were going to jump out. Now is the time to play the game. Great.
Populous, Chris. What are your thoughts? Populous. Oh, I thought you were going to say something like that. <laughs> oh dear. It's just not, not for me. It, it's not my thing. No. And that's I'm being charitable so with that. I'm going to... You're being charitable. Yeah. Okay. Presumably, you've got lots of bashing to do. No, for, for what it is, it's fine. I don't think it's very user-friendly. In fact, I don't think it's user-friendly at all. No. And that's, for me, the main barrier to my enjoyment of it. We did talk about how, for my first foray into this genre, that a game uh, that, that playing this on the SNES is maybe not the best introduction yes. to it and that playing it on the pc would be better where it's more uh, accessible yes so, but at the same time the reason so for people that are wondering why did we didn't do that the reason is i had this on the snes so we're, we're sort of going back to experience the games the way we experienced them when we had them and that's why it's our cross to bear don't judge us it is i think it would be better on the pc as you say in terms of the interface the interface on the snes it moves everything i it could well be the exact same layout on the pc where mm. you actually have to press the buttons around the zoomed in map that you get given but the benefit that you'd have is that you have a mouse rather than having to press select multiple times to navigate between different sections you'd have a mouse so yeah we didn't necessarily play the best version of it but we played the version that i had and that was what we had to contend with and that's what i had to contend with when i was a child trying to make head or tail of the game yeah and i don't envy that experience you had so just so the listeners completely aware of what we actually did just to emulate that fully we played for about 10 minutes quarter of an hour fumbling through the tutorial it was, a, it was longer covers, than that which we'll it come felt to longer than a that. bit later on and then you sent me a link to the a scan of the manual so we had to read through that manual and actually having read through the manual i was even more confused because it was just okay well interestingly we had diverging experiences there i think because for me the manual was elucidatory but then i have a basis to work from i have a foundation to work from because i struggled with this game for long enough when i was younger that at the very least set me up to be familiar with what was or some of the things that was going on. At the very at the very least, I knew what it looked like and I knew yeah. that I had to get from navigating around the map to pressing buttons on the side of the map and so on. So it wasn't all completely alien to me. I'm not surprised, to be honest though, that you feel alienated by this game because even now, even having looked at the manual, I still feel a little bit alienated from the game. Mm-hmm. However, the manual was helpful to me. Right. One of the things that it did was clue me into the fact that there were advanced controls that let you press buttons without actually having to navigate to the buttons in the game, which was useful, limitedly so. So you press Y to jump around the map. If you held down L and Y at the same time, it jumped around a lot quicker, which did make it a lot more fluid once we'd realised that. It did, yeah. I think when I was younger as well, I was... I keyed into the fact that you had to just you had to build up your own settlements and destroy the other people's settlements. But I, what I didn't understand for the life of me was how you got your men, your people, your peeps to spawn and move on. And I started to get to grips with that even in the first couple of few minutes of how to sort how to push your men further forward, mm-hmm. push your people further forward, and get them to explore further. And it it revolved around the majority of the game revolved around lowering and flattening land yeah or um, raising land and flattening land because settlements uh, pop up on flat land flatter the land the better and once we realized that that was what i ended up doing in the main game itself was i was just raising or flattening lands to um create a, a flat plane for my my pops 
my populi to create settlements in. And that was good because I, I seemed to make it some headway. And then I realised what I was doing was raising a fascinated land and that was that's that's not a game. Mm. Well, actually it is. That is populist, oh. I believe. I think that that is what populist is because you are basically creating land removing land reducing land and even when you get down to the powers that you have so you have a you can raise volcanoes you can you can raise swamps you can cause earthquakes you can cause them like an a worldwide flood all of those powers what they do is add or remove land so even when you use the powers you're adding and removing land in in various ways so yeah the game boils down really to raising and lowering land which to be fair to me, I didn't realise quite how... I didn't realise that uh, before we before we started playing today. Um, my own view of the game, having played it today, I'm a little bit disappointed, but also a little bit intrigued. Okay. I'm disappointed because I didn't have that revelatory moment of, oh, hang on, this is a good, a good game that I should never have been confused about. Right. So that was disappointing. Well, so but I was also... I'm also in, so what do you mean? You were you were disappointed because you were you were coming to this expecting some sort of eye-opening experience and it just confirmed. I was expecting to perform some kind of volta on how I felt about the game. I thought it would turn me around completely from from thinking I didn't like the game to thinking that I was well up for playing the game in the future. And actually I think that to jump ahead from where we should be here um to to the very end of the podcast i'm not sure that i will be going back to this i'm not intrigued enough to want to play it again but i am intrigued in so much as i did once i started to get to grips once i've read the manual and started to get to grips with the fact that the game is by and large raising and lowering land to benefit your civilization and to put you the the opposing team's civilization at a disadvantage once i realized that and i was able to do that in a competent way using the tools that it hand i did actually start to gain a clear advantage over my competitor over my competition so that was interesting because i never remember i don't remember ever feeling like i was in that much control of the game so you accomplished more tonight than you ever did as a nine-year-old i think i moved through levels but it must have been such slow going when i was younger Oh, and actually, just a, a brief correction there. When we looked at the manual, there's actually 989 levels. Oh, I mean, I mean, yes. Why they couldn't have slung an extra 10 and made it a nice round 999 or even 11 and made it 1,000. Yeah. Is I can only me. imagine that's memory issues yeah. or some kind of technical yeah. something or other. But even so, 989, that's a, a lot of levels, especially the speed of it all. Yep, especially considering how long it was taking to get through the the first level. The first level, by the way, is called Genesis, which I uh, mentioned to you. That is a self, a bit of a cell phone, isn't it? Because this came out in the SNES and they the first, the first world is the name of the competitor to the SNES, the Genesis, at least in America. I'm, I'm assuming so, it's not named yeah. after the, the, the console, oh, no. though. No, no, not at all. I No doubt it's named, you know, biblically, but at the same time... Well, you never know, Peter Molyneux. Bit of a slip-up. Yeah. It looked really nice. Let's give it that. It does. It does look really nice. You, you mentioned the way that the water's animated, and actually mm. it was a lovely-looking... I thought it was a lovely-looking game. One of the things that Peter Molyneux was bigging up in his GDC post-mortem was the facial animations, which I doubt you you meant you noticed. He, I think he... Well, I know, in fact, that he was, was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but what he pointed out to people during that post-mortem was that actually there is an animation for the peeps to wink so right. those peeps can wink and he said 
that it, had he been in full-blown hyperbole mode when when they made this game, he probably would have been talking about how the facial animations were super realistic or something. And if he'd been able to animate a mouth, he probably would have been talking about cutting-edge lip sync technology or something like that so when i said he was self-aware that was him being self-aware so i suppose the point is there that the the pops actually do have some facial they're not expression. called pops that's I'm, the second time you've called them that it's I'm called peeps. pops you all right it's the fact you that they actually have like. that when they didn't need to but they have and it's just a nice feature yeah and i think yeah, i think actually uh, this won't end up being just me trying to defend Peter Molyneux. I don't have any skin in the game, but I don't think he deserves the ire that he gets. That is, I think, Peter Molyneux all, all over. Like, when he's making things, when, they, when they're designed and when he's putting together teams to, to make games like this, they tend to go above and beyond in a lot of ways. Yeah. And as much as Peter Molyneux does overpromise, I don't necessarily think that he underdelivers or that his teams underdeliver. I think the games that they produce are still fantastic games especially relative to everything around them i'm in the minority when i say that i enjoy fable 3 and that i like fable 3 and what it did i understand that there are drawbacks and we'll talk about fable 3 far along down the line way way down the line from here but the game was knocked the game was maligned quite heavily for reasons that i understand but also if people could take a step back and look at that game a little bit with a little bit more of a with a broader view Mm -hmm. then they would probably find something that is enjoyable and as i say better than a lot of things around it. a lot of its peers right more enjoyable than a lot of its peers that's the same possibly for populace so we're knocking it we're saying actually it's not for us possibly for different reasons but at the time 1989 to 1991 one this was setting its own agenda this was a game that this was a genre that did not exist before this game came into being and two yeah uh two the extras that went into it the extra that i've just been saying is in all of peter molnier's games is in is in populous in uh in various ways the fact that there are 500 levels in the amiga version and 989 in the snes version i mean yeah i mean that's insane isn't it yeah you could pour hundreds of hours into this game if you wanted to absolutely and obviously this game does do something right because the amount of kudos it has uh, yeah this is a game i'd never played before tonight but i knew it because of the recognition it has the yeah you know well as i say it sets its own agenda and it directs the conversation like this is this was the beginning of something brand new people have taken to it and enjoyed it i have no doubt that if i had been an adult in 1989 1990 i would have been playing this and and loving it really enjoying it you don't have to even go back as far as 1990 to find games that where the interface the ui isn't up to scratch for for what we expect yeah these days uh, of games and i think that's what is going on here because that interface transitioning a game from the PC to a console has always been a challenge and a a challenge that people are aware of. We talked previously, we have talked previously about moving consoles, uh, particularly RTSs or or, or any kind of strategy game or or man sim from PC to console. It's a huge challenge because that control element, the mouse, the mouse is the perfect way to control those games. So removing that is a challenge in itself. So, for example, when I got Two Point Hospital for the Switch, I could not believe how well that handled using the menus. Yeah. And, and it really does. 
They've made huge strides, I think, in terms of how things control on consoles. I think one of the watershed moments, not particularly a game that I enjoyed when it came out, but Halo Wars, I think they went to great lengths, actually, to get the control scheme right in that game. And I think a lot of cues were taken from it post Halo Wars for Mansims and, and for RTSs and whatnot moving from co- from PC to console. Right. The example I gave you, so you were talking about Two Point Hospital. The conversation we had actually was you and I talking about moving things over. You proffered Two Point Hospital and I proffered City Skylines, which at the time I'd been playing quite a lot on the PlayStation 4. And that both of those games do a phenomenal job of translating their user interfaces um, in the way that this game tried to. So um, presumably, if this had been made now, I mean, a lot would be different, but if this had been made now, that that transition wouldn't have been quite as painful as it seems to have been. Did it have, on that note, did it have sequels? Yes, so the game, the game does have a sequel... Well, it has two sequels. It has Populous 2, which came out similarly on the SNES on the, and on PCs, various. Uh, it also has, I think it's called Popu- Populous The Beginning. I didn't make a note of that, but Populous 3, I think, is a, a prequel that came out later in the 90s, sort of 98, 99, somewhere around there. Of note, though, the game that followed they followed this up with yeah. at Bullfrog was a game called Powermonger. I haven't played Powermonger. I've only found out about it during my research for today no never heard of it so powermonger is a an rts real-time strategy slightly different to this but it uses the it uses the same engine that they built for populous it's a an rts with a difference so in powermonger instead of directly issuing individual units or groups of units with orders you actually have to send those orders by carrier pigeon (laughs) which yeah exactly so you have to send your carrier pigeon to the units on the map and the carrier pigeon has to make the journey from wherever your HQ is to the the unit on the actual map and and deliver them. The slight wrinkle in that plan is that if you're playing against another player, another person, you can shoot each other's pigeons out of the air. So chances are your pigeon's not going to get there and your orders aren't going to be fulfilled. The other wrinkle is, according to Peter Molnier, it could take sort of 10 minutes for your pigeon to arrive at the actual unit that's going to take those orders. So it was a quite a slow quite slow progress being made in Powermonger, it seems. It's novel. There's a, they, they used to use, it sounds really interesting. They used pigeons in World War One to send messages between areas well that's the idea yeah yeah there's there's one there's a, there was a pigeon called Cher Ami which was is that the one that got given the Victoria Cross or something like that it was um, it got, got shot at three times and it somehow managed to survive and, and get this really yeah. important message it was something about the town that it got to they were actually shooting their allies or something and, and this, this pigeon oh managed to stop them from doing it maybe they rolled some of that into Powermonger. Yeah, Maybe so. it was a celebration of Cher Ami. It sounds like an interesting concept as a game, but I think it, in relative terms, uh, certainly relative to Populous, Powermonger flopped. Bullfrog did Magic Carpet too after that. Is that right? They made Magic Carpet and they also made Dungeon Keeper as well. So that was oh, one of theirs. That's a great yeah, game. Yeah, I know you love... And, and apparently, so I haven't played Dungeon <sighs> Keeper, but apparently a lot of the roots of what you do in Dungeon Keeper are in Populous. Ah, okay. So um, it's probably worth noting with this game that actually the port for for the SNES version was, was handled by a company called Imagineer. So are you familiar with Imagineer? They're actually a, quite a big no. developer. Nope. So they're still around as well. They, they created Fitness Boxing and Fitness Boxing 2 on the Switch. 
right uh, of late no No, do you know those games i mean i guess what it is from the the title yeah it's um for anyone that doesn't know it's a rhythm action a rhythm game that involves boxing to the to the beat of various different songs but they've got quite a story well not as not i was going to say storied history but they what i really mean is they've been involved in ports of various different games so sim city of various different iterations of that 2000 and the original one sim ant and sim earth they handled the ports of those lots and lots of games that people would know even even uh, ports of lemmings which we have ah, actually discussed on previous okay they did the port for game boy which i actually had I didn't realise... Well, obviously, I didn't realise that they were involved in the port for that. Uh, They've done some Hello Kitty games. Uh, They were involved in the port of Elite as well. So we talked about David Braben. They ported Elite to the NES, and they're still around, which is more than can be said for both Bullfrog and Lionhead, who have both sadly departed this earth. So what's Peter Molyneux doing these days with himself? Peter Molyneux has a company now called 22 cans are you not do you not know what 22 cans did or do i wasn't even going to discuss this i wasn't even going to discuss this but I'll, I'll give you a potted history of 22 cans they have a really interesting output so he left lionhead i think somewhere around 2009 2010 and set up 22 cans so 22 cans their primary focus was mobile gaming he was interested in the new horizons that were opening up around that okay. and he went in and try was trying to innovate with with this team at 22 cans trying to innovate on what was going on in that space and the first game that they put out was called curiosity what's inside the box are you familiar with that it sounds like something from jackass which makes me very suspicious does it yes. i have no idea what how, how that's anything to do with jackass but anyway well, 22... you know, what, what's in the box could be a turd could be this is the thing so curiosity what's inside the box was literally what it is what it sounds like you have a very very large cube in this app you're not going to be impressed i wasn't particularly impressed i actually did play in inverted commas a bit of this game users had to join together had to band together around the world tap on the box until the box was depleted to such an extent that it could be opened and then there was something inside the box so we're talking about millions at one point millions of people for months on end i don't remember how long it was for months and months on end tapping at this box on an app with no other reward other than the proposition that there's something inside the box and the person that opens the box gets what's inside the box right so it's willy wonka isn't it sort of yeah but with millions and millions of people and less chocolate yeah i mean this is just ridiculous what was inside the box do you know it's no you don't i don't know why i'm asking it's gonna be an utter letdown i can tell that right so the next project after curiosity what's inside the box for 22 cans was a game wait for it was a game called goddess g-o-d-u-s goddess which has its roots in populace it's basically a mobile version an updated modified modernized version of populace hence the nomenclature with microtransactions Uh. what was in the box was the opportunity so i might bodge this a little bit but um i'll get most of it right what was inside the box was the opportunity to be the god of goddess okay which came or was supposed to come with the option to earn money from the microtransactions that people bought in the game goddess so the prize for opening the box was like a cut of the profits from the following game yeah okay yeah which is a weird and interesting premise yeah i haven't looked into it 
but I don't. I do vaguely have some kind of inkling that it didn't work out quite as planned, and that maybe the person that won that prize. I remember it being won, but the person that won that prize maybe didn't get all that they were expecting. I mean, it is. It's history repeating itself on Peter Molyneux there. You said about the EA contract back in the first half that he got stung yeah, by I in guess the early so, 90s. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. 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 In terms of what he's actually doing right now, I I don't know. In terms of what 22 cans output right now is, I don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, I should have checked again. 22 cans, another interesting title for a studio. Yeah, I, it's quite a nice little... Uh, I don't understand. What's it it related to? I think it's a play on words. So 20 toucans, the bird. Oh, all right. Okay. Why 20 of them? Why not 10? Why are they called insomniac? I don't know. Why are you asking me? I didn't set it up. I'm not impressed. Well, actually, you're all over. (laughs) So there's lots of that we haven't managed to talk about in this podcast that we could probably have hit on but uh, we don't really have time do we unfortunately and again for the second week running my energy has been sapped by this game well you brought the last one i brought this one yeah so we have been a bit bashy in this episode which no we've been fair and balanced journalists <laughs> is that what we are we i don't i don't think of myself as a journalist so i might have to cut that uh <laughs> Just again, I'm going to, because there's so much that we could have talked about, I'm just going to try and pick up on a couple of things that I haven't been able to say and also try and redress the balance because we have been, we've come down on the game fairly hard, whether it's justified or not. I'd say personally, it's justified. Apparently though, Japan went absolutely crazy for Populous. Oh really? And Populous had merchandise out the wazoo in Japan. If you think of what might exist as merchandise for a game, it definitely existed for Populous in Japan. So that's one thing. Right. A second thing. I said that I don't know what Peter Molyneux is doing now, but in 2011, one of his little pet projects on the side, no commercial value just for him himself that he actually discusses and shows off in that GDC post-mortem is a game called Feed Me. And Feed Me was a 256-player version of Populous that he had coded. Yeah, so quite an interesting little tidbit there. So he he, he programmed a 256-player version of this game just for lols? For kicks, yeah, what he never actually That's released. What developers doing it. Oh no, yeah, he doesn't own the rights to Populous. He wouldn't be able to. So what was the point in that? Well, probably practice and fun. Have you never heard of either of those two things? Get a grip, man. You're not. You're not a massive. You're not a massive fan of fun, are you? Or hobbies. I don't know. You're in a bad mood today. I think that's what the problem was. It's I'm not a game, it's you. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. I just didn't, no. didn't rate that experience at all. I think we are coming to the same conclusion it's one that i alluded to earlier on in this half and that one is that we wouldn't necessarily recommend populous for today's audience no at all like to nobody probably unless of course you are someone that's particularly invested in the industry particularly invested in the history of gaming wants to see where molyneux les edgar started off les edgar interestingly isn't in the games industry anymore he left and he is currently i think working in the automotive industry okay with cars so big wig somewhere over there what was the same <laughs> yeah that's 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 probably it isn't it those people that's the audience for the game um, maybe you're feeling a bit masochistic perhaps you can get it like you can get it on i think you can get the pc version on good old games i don't know how much it is i didn't look <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'll have to find out for yourself yeah what are you listening to an hour-long podcast for just to find out the, the price of populace it might be available somewhere for a price go find out for yourselves yeah exactly yeah do your homework why was i supposed to look for it you look for it god gordon bennett our audience 
so lazy sometimes, aren't Needy. they? Yeah. Is it, well, I'd say that's us. Yeah, uh, on that so. note, if you are enjoying our podcast and would like a little bit more of us, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter and also on YouTube, actually. And maybe even a little bit of us is on Instagram. Although I'm not telling you which bit. You will have to go and follow us to find out. You, uh, yeah, come chat to us. We will answer any questions you have got. And, and we'll see you next week for another Golden Aldi. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.